Bless you, Lord. We bless you this freezing cold, beautiful morning in Tennessee, God. We bless you wherever our listeners are listening, God. We just want to tell you how wonderful you are, God. You are amazing, Lord. You're doing great and awesome things, God, in these days. You're doing great and actually terrible things, shaking things, uncomfortable things, and wonderful things. And we say amen to your will. And we come before you today because we want to be further transformed, God, that we could prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives. So we say yes in advance, Lord, that you will do a work. You are redeeming the time. You've told us to, and you do always. So we ask you to open your word to us. Give us hearts to hear, ears to hear, God, and spirits to comply with all that you have planned in these amazing days. And we bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, that'll end the, the morning session, and we'll move right on here. Now let's get started here. Okay, waiting for this to show up. Ah, there we go. Okay, so technicals again, I just want you to know, because if you're new, um, the technicals are in red, and um, the word is emboldening, it's not bolding, there is a word, and emboldening means to become strong and courageous, make someone such, yes. but it also means to highlight a word in text. So the, um, my notes, I, I don't, there's things I don't want to miss, and because they're teaching notes, and I try to go through them pretty thoroughly, um, it's, I do that for me. So, Lee, I'm going to mute you. You are muted. Okay. So, before digging deeper into Daniel and the 70-week prophecy, and, and I sent you all notes this week, and I don't know how many read them. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but those were some. I know Scott read them probably four or five times. But um, the reality, he's like, there's a teacher. Yeah, there you go. But the, the, it's not to prove that people have varying opinions or to prove even how they got to a generally same conclusion from different directions. But it has to do with the fact that there are things, and it's funny because as you guys know, because I've told you over the weeks and months and years, this, I'm friends with some of the people whose commentaries I read now. We have dialogues on the phone and it's all good. And um, it's just interesting where people come from in their spiritual roots and what they're able to perceive and see and what they can't. None of us have the perfect whole picture. It's not intended that way. Um, if it was, we'd be worshiping that person, and we have a tendency to idolize and lift up anyway, and it, it doesn't, it really doesn't. In fact, we're seeing that not work. We're actually seeing it purposely not work, because not only does the glory have to go to God, but we're intended to need one another. Part of the not forsaking assembling together is not simply so that you could get fed. If you've been saved 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you probably know how to feed yourself already. The point is we're intended to know each other. So that's a good thing. And uh, it's interesting, though, because there are things that we want to know that we don't yet know. And when someone has presented something deeply and gone into it deeply over the course of time, a lot of times they, they, they present such a worthy case that you look at it and you think, yeah, that's it. And then you read another worthy case and you think, yeah, that's it. And so, I'm, again, I say this, it's not a get out of a study free card or, you know, be ignorant the rest of your life card. Um, I know one person used to say, I'm into, uh, what, how, what does he say? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm into pan-millennialism, meaning it'll all pan out. And the truth is, that's true. It will. If you have it wrong, you, and it's going to pan out whether you're praying into it correctly or not. But we want to press in, because in the pressing in is a reward with the Lord, and, and he wants us to know these things. So when we get in tonight, I'm going to give you an opinion next week, but I wanted to address this first because it has to do with something that's so critical, especially with uh, you know, needs that we have around us with many people in, in dire straits, marital straits, uh, medical straits, all sorts of stuff, people having to know exactly what God wants them to do in these days. And we know it'll never contradict his word. Any personal revelation you'll ever get will always coordinate with the word. But at the same time, we need to be spirit-filled people now more than ever. And I'm going to make a good, case, good, strong case for that this morning. And I know that you know, many people here were not raised in, let's say, a charismatic uh, environment, or you were abused in one, one or the other. Both of those things are like push people away from, quote, charismania. And everybody has a bad story about a goofy prophet or a goofy teacher or a goofy something. And the reality is, sorry, but get over it. It really comes down to a sorry, but get over it. Because literally everything, and you might say, well, I'm not comfortable in something that God has or it's in the word. These are not days where you're looking for comfort. You're looking for as much of God in your life as you can make room for. That's, that's really it. If it's, hi, if it's new to you, good. That's good. So before we dig deeper, we're going to be going there, which I believe it has to do with if it is a bottom line takeaway, it's daily, minute by minute, breath by breath, intimacy with the Lord. And everything that God's put in his word is because he loves you. It's not simply a performance program where he's looking to check the boxes. Oh, now they do this. Now they believe that. Oh, what a relief. He's, he's relieved anyway. He, you're not gonna, he's not going to love you more if, if something new blossoms in your spiritual walk. But it's because he loves you and he wants you to be fully equipped. So we will read this. I don't know why I'm reading it, just because we're in Daniel 9. We'll do that, then we'll move on. So this is the very last verses of Daniel chapter 9, where we've, I don't want to say we've been stuck, but we've stopped there with time off and, and other bunny, anointed bunny trails. But Daniel is told a mystery here. And he, we're told, even at the conclusion of the book in Daniel 12, seal it up. These things are sealed. Go your way. You're going to resurrect at the end of the days. But because we've progressed from Daniel 1 all the way through Daniel 8 and now most of Daniel 9, we know that there's a lot of trouble on earth right up until the throne is set in place, the throne of God. Really, the, the judgment of God is set in place. There's, it's not everything is hunky-dory for a whole season and we could believe the tough stuff happened 70 AD and it's smooth sailing with Jesus. I believe a lot of those doctrines are going away very quickly in these days. Yeah. A lot of those doctrines. I, there's someone I know who I respect greatly as a man of God and a, and a writer and a student of scripture and he said to me, Elliot, I think we might be in the end times. <laughs> I was like, Screaming, yes, 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 exactly. I read what you wrote and can't you see it? It's a, so I'm just saying that there's, there's this awakening of the body of Christ. Even when you look at things like if you read your news source, people, there's articles, a lot of them are weird and you know, they're worried about you know, other stuff causing the end of the world. We know who's, gonna, who's actually in charge, who's sitting on the throne right now. But this, because of Daniel's prayer where he 
he, he doesn't confirm it or affirm it so that God feels better, but he's writing it down and declaring it for us to hear that God's serious judgment on his wayward people is a righteous judgment. We're going to have to start seeing that and recognizing that because in these days it's going to get to a place where we're going to see some very heavy stuff and it, and it looks severe. And when, we were, when, when the people asked Jesus to teach us how to pray, he said, pray you will be done. Now that's turned into a ritual, you know, how many times you have to say it every day to receive forgiveness. That's not it. But he's saying that should be the cry of your heart is, God, I only want your will. That is so mature. That verse in uh, Romans 12 where it says, you know, I beseech you, brethren, therefore by the mercies of God, do you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You're a living sacrifice. God's not asking too much. And then he says, don't be transformed, but be, uh, don't be conformed to the world, which is constantly leaning on you to cause you to conform. He says, but instead of that, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is what we're doing here, so that you might prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've taught on it many times. I heard a guy open our Bibles to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm, you know, I wasn't being smug, but I thought, oh, I love those scriptures, the great scriptures. But he brought up a point that I, I never realized before, and it was good and acceptable and perfect. He says they are three you know, adjectives that are all real nice, and you, know, you can embrace all of them. But he says sometimes you can look at it as a progression. Like when you get saved, when you're, if you have an experience where God takes you out of something, it's almost like, gosh, you know, we used to call it cloud nine because we got saved in a revival where you know, demonized people on drugs came in and the first month and a half they just felt like they were walking in heaven and then life started happening again and you had to sort of start saying, well, you know, now we have life to live out. But good and acceptable and perfect, when everything doesn't look good, sometimes we keep thinking, sometimes we get stuck in our lives in this place of the acceptable will of God. Most saints like that. That's a good place, the acceptable will. And God loves us so much, he will walk us through that season, which sadly could be your whole life. But he's trying to mature us to the place where you want his perfect will. I love that. I never looked at it that way. So, you know, you think to get to the place where you God, I only want your will. You know, first of all, as you get older, you think, I have a lot of time to mess around with the acceptable will, and I've tried the acceptable will for 30 years, and it really worked out so-so. I'd like to have a be better batting average. <laughs> you know, so anyway, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. And then he talks about a completion. We're not going to read all this because I have so many notes I want to get through. But he says to finish, there's actually, you can number these, to finish the transgression, which is actually the rampage of sin, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity. So he's talking, remember, about the crucifixion of Jesus in here, and that's the reconciliation, to bring in everlasting righteousness, which is available now, but it's not everlasting righteousness on earth yet. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this troubled season. To seal a vision of prophecy, the word seal, we'll talk about it next week, it's more than just shutting it off, but at the same time he's saying we're, going, we're not going to need prophecy when Jesus is here. We're going to, be, we're going to have Jesus in Jerusalem at, in the temple. So the whole concept of prophecy, you can read Zechariah 14, it, it basically saying we're not going to need it anymore. And to anoint the most holy, and there's varying opinions we're not going to get into. And then he breaks it down into periods of time, and he talks about Messiah getting cut off, which most likely I would be 99% sure because the word Messiah was used for kings and other leaders during over history, Mashiach. 
but it has to do with, with Jesus. And then at the end, he says, the end shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. He's just telling us that there's going to be a lot of trouble all the way through to the end. He goes, at the end, it says, even until the consummation, the closure, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. So God is going after wickedness, going after evil. He's going after sin. The first place he will always do that because of his love for his people is in us. So God's going to be dealing with us. God is dealing with us. We're seeing it happen in ministries and churches and leaderships and families and marriages. We're seeing just because God's saying, I'm going after my people in these days. I need, he needs us to really step up to the plate in the place of surrender. Not, again, turning up the treadmill and doing more, but it's mostly a heart condition. Yeah. It's mostly a heart condition. So after reading God's faithful righteousness and bringing what was clearly harsh but fair judgment upon his covenant-breaching people, we discussed that God takes covenants really seriously. We talked about it last week. To the point where the Jewish people, the people in Israel were, were duped by local neighbors who dressed up like they were from far away and they brought rotten food with them and said, look, our bread went bad, our cheese went bad, our tacos stink, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> and so they made a covenant with Israel, Israel thinking, oh, they live so far away. And then later they found out these guys had lied in their basically uh, warranties and indemnification section of their agreement. And God still held Israel accountable. That's how serious God is about covenant. That's why he says he hates divorce because it covers someone with violence. He doesn't mean you're going to get you know, beat to death if, if you've been involved in a divorce or a marriage has failed. I'm simply saying he understands covenant. And there's a tearing work that happens when a covenant is broken. And he's particularly zealous, jealous about the covenant we each make with him. He's very, very jealous about that. And what God is doing in Israel right now and in the Jewish people and in the church is God's faithfulness to covenant. The prayer of Daniel 9, you could be praying that over Israel right now. They need to get saved. I've said it many times. There's one Savior. I was, every morning I get up and I play a little song for the Lord on my keyboard, and it's just between me and him, and you wouldn't want to hear it. But this morning I was, uh, you know, really, but I was just praying that old, I was just playing that old song this morning. You know, I believe Jesus saves. I believe he saves. His blood washes whiter than snow. Like he saves, he continues to save. He saves us from falling off of ladders, from cutting our fingers off. He saves us from, from you know, really from a lot of stuff. He saves us. He saves us from inconveniences sometimes. So he saves. He's the savior. He's the only savior. The little guy. I know that. I try to keep him I know. Let him chew in your hand. It won't. It'll, it'll bleed, but it won't. It won't make that much noise. Okay. So one thing to know, too, when you say, like, I want to know the will of God, Jesus didn't just speak or write or anoint people to put something down. He is the word of God. Now, you could argue that with him if you want, but it's, and there's, we're going to look at another scripture later in the book of Revelation. But in John 1, John starts off with this statement, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he is the word. If it's in the word... It's, 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 you don't have to just say, well, he's the red stuff. <laughs> he is the word, okay? He, he's the word, and we're going to look even later uh, today on, on the whole concept of Paul calling the entire Jewish scriptures, the entire Old Testament, the, um, Torah. And, and arguably, you could say, well, that can't be. Could actually, he used the word nomos, which is because, you know, the, the scriptures are written in Greek in the New Testament. But he used the word nomos when he was quoting something out of, um, out of Isaiah, so this whole thing is God's word. If it's in there, 
you're better off complying. And it doesn't mean it's not grace, and it doesn't mean he doesn't patiently work with us. He does. If it tells you to do something, do it. it life will go easier. It just it works that way. I can tell you from personal experience, actually. Okay, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He's talking about our Savior. He is the Word of God. So the transformative work of bringing us, the people of God, into this fullness has always been the heavenly agenda. It's not just repent. You know, the thief on the cross had it easy in many ways. He repented and he was out of here. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He's like, really? He didn't even get baptized. If, sorry, if you're a Baptist, think you can't. He, he, didn't, he was not a Baptist, that guy. <laughs> that we know. We don't, we don't know his name or anything. We know he wasn't a Baptist, though. But I'm just saying that the, the agenda of God is to grow you, grow you progressively, grow you steadily, teach you what works, teach you what doesn't, teach you to hear his voice, teach you to uh, minimize your response time. If you've ever gone to a high school basketball basketball game or you've ever seen Magic Johnson play when he was a Laker response time and passing behind his back and someone knew where to go and the, the, all that it, it's a it's art when you see professionals in their I remember the first soccer game we went to we thought and we're not soccer fans and we, but when you're at the stadium and, and we just saw our little kids you know. yeah running around like bees <laughs> to honey or something like that and and we watching these I think this is art and this is how God's trying to coordinate the body of Christ in these days. Right. He's trying to coordinate that. And, and I've been involved in a couple of things. I remember there was a whole prophetic thing that happened at a church we were at in L.A. where there was someone stood up and gave a word, and I, God started moving on me, and I, had a, I knew what the guy was saying. He was praying in tongues out loud in church. And, and, um, and I held back because someone else started giving their interpretation, and it was the same exact thing the Lord had given me. And a week later, it happened the other way around. So does that mean we're going to bat a thousand? Probably not. But I'm just saying there, there are circumstances and coordinated incidences in life where you find just God doing a great thing. That's what you want. You want to walk in that. And, you know, we're chasing him, but we want to be hungry for the sensitivity to move when God calls us to. Enlightenment has always and will continue to be the only safe place. More so now than ever. More so now than ever. I had a client, I was in New York during the 9-11 attack, I had a client who was due to fly on one of the planes, and, and the last minute, I think there was one plane that was flying into San Francisco from New York or something like that. Yes, yeah, and, and the last minute he changed flights. Everybody on that plane perished. Mm -hmm. So you just want to be very sensitive. There are times when the Lord says no about something. I was in a, a death-defying medical adventure in my own life for seven years, and we went someplace and we made appointments and schedules and all that. And, that, and I went to bed that night and had a dream. I woke up. I said, I'm not doing it. And, she, and Robin said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know what I'm not doing. So sometimes God gives you a little, a little morsel of things. But you start looking back and you just start praising him. And, and, and you feel co more confident in your ability to hear him. You think, oh, I actually I'm hearing God. And we want to learn to do that. So all of the word is for all of the people. And I recommend you read Deuteronomy, um, especially if you're going to read Daniel 9, but Deuteronomy 29 to 31, I recommend it every week. But um, Deuteronomy 29, it says in verse 1, these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab 
beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. And then going down to the bigger type, verse 9, Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. That's what he's telling us. This whole thing that we've entered into, it's, again, it's, is it convenient? It's clearly not. The whole concept of someone's will versus your will is that when you surrender your will and tie it to the altar, it's going to mean inconvenience for you. Keep these words. All of, you all of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water. He's saying it's really for everyone. In fact, there's a place in Deuteronomy where God challenges Israel and says, what nation has a God who's so good who gives them these laws? The laws were not simply to, to, to make sure they're like obedient little, you know, tin soldiers walking in line or something like that. He's saying, this is so that you might, this is the, we heard it recently, this is the instruction manual. This is the instruction manual for life. Does he love you less if you're not complying? No. No, absolutely not. Will it be easier on you? It might be more convenient for a season, but eventually it'll prove to be faulty. So he's trying to get us to that place of saying, God, I, where you're hungering for his will. And then he says, I make this covenant and this oath, verse 14, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord, our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today, which would be you. Hmm. So there's certain things of the law that, you know, obviously we don't have the kosher laws and we know that Jesus, there a lot of things shifted and, and some of the things are very clearly shifted. Others, they're prayerful considerations on your part, you know, and so I leave that between you and the Lord. It's just like even how much do you pray a day? We've addressed that in the past. You have a personal place that you're called into with him where you're called to find out what he expects of you and what he expects of you is grace. We were in our revival, we used to go crazy because we were just pressing in like, I mean, we saw power of God stuff and deliverances and great. I was up to having vowed to pray two and a half hours a day. I'd be looking at my watch, my face would be in a pillow, it would be 11 o'clock at night. One time we had a project due, we're at the airport in LA getting a, a, a game out in a package that's flying to New York on a flight of coffins. It was basically the dead people flight. It was the last flight we could get a product out to and paid a gazillion dollars to get it to New York for a toy meeting. And we all go to um, Denny's and we must have had like two pots of coffee each. And we went back to our house because we all owed God umpteen hours of prayer for the whole week. We had accrued this debt. And, and it's like hours later, and uh, you know, you're waking up with a spit all over your face from your face in the couch. And one guy, one nut, well-intended friend, is up on his knees going, yeah, yeah, bakaya, yeah, shouting out in tongues for hours. And I'm, I'm picturing God just going, aren't they cute? <laughs> That's not the way it works. What a great relief that is, okay? It, it doesn't, it, it's not what he's called us to. He's called us to love our walks with him, but he has called us to some common sense. So sometimes if there's no grace to do something, maybe you're not supposed to be doing it. So, but if you maintain a dialogue with them, it makes more sense. You know, say, oh, God, I told you I was going to fast eight days, and it's been three hours, and I'm hungry, and, I'm, and then my body's sick, and I'm on meds, and I'm, things aren't going well inside. And sometimes you just, just, if you consistently maintain a dialogue with God, it becomes a, familiar, a good, familiar place, and, and everything changes. Suddenly, 
It's just, it's wonderful. So where do we stand as a primarily Gentile church right now? Well, the writer of Hebrews, who was writing to the discouraged first century Jews, says in chapter 2, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. More earnest heed. And, oh, and again, he tells us that, you know, if they did not escape him, who spoke from uh, earth through the prophets, he says, when a Holy Spirit uh, infilling is in you, when you start feeling conviction or guidance or leadership or anything from him, he's saying, I, we're, we're, I'm being in you, I call you to a greater accountability. So this is good. And, it, and we've seen it happen, of course, many times, anointed people take terrible tumbles. I'm going to be talking about healing a little bit later. And most of, and I've studied healing. I did it for, actually, I did it for several years, like running, like really read probably 10 books on Smith Wigglesworth and God's Generals and John G. Lake. And I read all this stuff. And really most of them had varying doctrinal differences. Um, one guy would, would died in a room full of gin bottles, sadly. He was an alcoholic. Some had marital scandal in their life. You know, I mean, there was just garbage in their lives, but they had an anointing on their life. And it, but that doesn't justify scandal or sin. But when God calls you to a level of intimacy and a level of the, the accountability index will go up and even the attacks against you will come up. But there's really no safe, other than his, uh, no safe place other than his will. It's not like I'll just do nothing and I'll be safe here. No, you won't. Because he's jealous over how, what he's invested in you and how he's wired you from before you, you were born. If he's called you to prophesy, you prophesy. He's called you to dance, you dance. He's called you to whatever he's called you to do, you do it. And you want to discover that. In, fir <coughs> in First Corinthians, Paul tells, us, Paul tells us that, you know, the things that happened to the Old Testament folks were written for our admonition. So we could read these things and say, well, what worked and what didn't? What worked and what didn't. When I first got saved, I remember reading my Bible and some terribly goofy things were going on with some of these people. And I remember thinking, how could that be holy? It must be holy if it's in the Bible. And then I realized, no, they're just a bunch of knuckleheads like us. They're just people. And some of them said really silly things. Some of them said even evil things. Some were, came out of jealousy. Some came out of pride. Some came out of ignorance. It doesn't excuse us, but it does relieve you of the fact that you, we, the only one who's perfect we worship. And so, oh, look, where we will park for a while this morning, well, that's so we're going to live here this morning, is there's a divine not knowing that God invites us into, which is why... I wanted to do this now before we got into these controversial, if you will, scriptures at the end of Daniel 9. Because there's things that we don't have the whole plan laid out. And it's okay. It's, in, it's frustrating for a teacher. I mean, I read that stuff like the notes I sent you. I probably sent you a tenth of what I've been pressing into. And not because I don't like that stuff. It gives me a headache. But I want to try to get it right, though. Mm -hmm. But there's things that we just don't know. So there's a divine not knowing, and it's actually in Scripture. It's called faith. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse, you know, but it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If I could have it all written out, if, if you had it written out, you would simply run with it. Like, I didn't get to pray this month, but I know the whole plan, and I know, I know when. I know when God's going to do something, so I'm cool. That's not the relationship. He's looking for intimacy and a relationship with you and an ongoing dialogue with you more than you being 
Bible central. He's not looking. For, he's not looking for that. And which is a relief, actually. So, we're, and we're called to be opening up a door for the Holy Spirit to accomplish what needs to get accomplished in us, so that we can be prepared. Because this thing's happening, and we have enough information of the troubling climate on Earth from here until His return, including martyrdom. I mean, the saints being martyred right now, and we have to understand that He is pulling us into that place of preparation where we're able to discern his voice. And even in this whole thing with this, you know, the stuff going on in our family with, you know, severe health challenges and stuff like that, I'm spending more time in prayer. I am purposely doing that. We are spending more time in prayer. Because, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm going to nag God, but you remember Luke 18, that, that woman and the unjust judge? And he used that as an example. And he was, an, this lady's nagging this guy just nagging me. He was like a jerk judge. Can you imagine a judge who was not great? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Um, <laughs> government officials that are corrupt. Can you imagine that? I can't, I can't even imagine. But anyway, the point is, though, is that he said that was a good example of, of he's based, God, this is Jewish God saying, nag me a little. <laughs> you know, fetch, if you will. You know, tell me what to Wine a little. Wine with good intention. See if you can move God. But he's not playing an emotional game with us. But sometimes it's a, how much do you want it? How much do you really want it? Is it worth everything to you? That God's will gets done on earth. That's why I love this lift up your heads, O you gates story in, in uh, Psalm 24. It has to do with a man. He, he uses the man jo, uh, Jacob as his uh, example. His name means deceiver. And right prior to the, this, at the beginning of this psalm, he's telling you that if, you, if, you, if you're a deceiver, you can't even stand on line to come into the presence of God. And then he talks about Jacob, and he says, the generation of those who seek me, saying, your hunger for God trumps your sin DNA. He says, Jacob, even you can lift your head up, you little conniver you you could lift your and that doesn't that make you feel good i love that the whole idea of he's saying i'm trying to invert vader through you through you i know how weird you are i'm trying to invade her through you will you please lift your head up so you're not just distracted nor are you ashamed nor do you not know me just lift your head up just say god i am hungry 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 and you know and i i'm saying it in humility i've had some I mean, we've been saved 50 years, so 50 years, you're going to have a couple of great days. We've had some great days with God. We've had some miraculous events occur in our lives, and I don't say it to brag, but I'm just saying God is speaking to us, and he's, and he spoke, and we, he's put us in situations. I told you guys a story of, uh, I always say this, I even have it. I said, some of you haven't heard a story. I wrote I Reggie Robbins heard it 400 times, and she was there with me as it happened. <laughs> But anyway, and I'm not going to, I won't tell you the story. If you need, if you need it, I'll send it to you. But Rhode Island Reggie's story was in 2023 and it was, it had, and it had to do during a season of us talking to some believers about predestination and free will. And I'm telling them the story. And right after they left our house, a series of events occurred that were so entwined with what I use as the example to preach and teach on predestination and free will, which is Alice in Wonderland, if you will. It was so crazy that, um, because it was the next weekend that things happened that only could have been the hand of God. 
Only could have been. We end up at the conclusion of a series of events where a stranger prays with us on the streets of Rhode Island and gets saved. We end up returning to our car, and on the window of a gift shop is a theme line that that runs completely through Alice in Wonderland. You can't make this stuff up. So this year, we're at Christmas, and there's Eddie. Eddie, you here? Raise your hand, Ed. See that old bald hippie there? <laughs> bald hippie. And there he is. I don't think there was such a thing as a bald hippie. No, he is now. <laughs> so that guy, Ed, that, that, that Ed Rogers there, who was in revival with us. This is crazy, though, but just this is just an update. Ed was in the revival with us and has seen the crazy stuff and the good stuff and the sloppy stuff and the messy stuff and has been faithful to the Lord all these years. He was with us during the Rhode Island Reggie event. So, wait, it gets even cooler. We're in Christmas time, we're in L.A., and I'm standing out in the yard of my daughter, and, I'm Ed, and I call Ed, and we're just chatting, and I said, you know, I said, I was talking about the Reggie thing, and I was talking about free will and predestination. I said, you know, last night we watched this, like, Hollywood, you know, you know kiss and hug kind of lovey-dovey movie, but it was all about predestination. I said, and coordinated incidences. And I said, it was a, you know, it's a Hollywood version. It was a little, got a little sloppy in some places, but it's, it was amazing. And, and uh, me being me, I couldn't help but be screaming out during the meeting. This is just like what happened. And this is, this is like Alice in Wonderland. And Herb is like, you know, you know, Elliot. Anyway, and Ed, and Ed, Ed says to me, the movie's been out 20 years. And I said, Ed, then everybody's going to go see it now or go see on your streaming service. I said, Ed, the movie, the name of the movie was Serendipity. Ed says to me, I just saw it two nights ago. He had never seen it either. Wow. Just like an extra little kiss from the Lord saying, yeah. just stay on time. Stay on time. Stay sensitized to what he's doing. And again, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to... Um, exaggerate these things or manufacture these things, but we don't ignore them because they're going to become more frequent in our lives. And we all have stories like that. We have stories where God is setting you up so he's coordinating your clock to his clock. We want to be coordinated to the clock of heaven in these days. That's where the miracles happen frequently. And I love that. Another story, one more, and then we'll move on. So every, anybody here know the toys Geotracks? So it was an amazing thing. I, I could tell by all the hands that weren't raised. But anyway, it was out for maybe a decade. It, it was huge. And we were in a humongous, humongous dialogue with Fisher-Price about that it came from us. And, they were, and without getting into all the particulars, it did. And through that whole thing and being very godly and someone getting saved through it, like many years later, that's another story, I had a profound dream one night, and as I'm leaving the house, I said to Robin, I had a profound dream. I don't know what it means, but I, I know it was God. On the way to work, I'm driving on Carson Street in Torrance. I'm driving to work, and in front of me is the car of the dream that I was sitting in, make, model, year, and color. And as the guy pulls away, and the Spirit of God's all over me and in my car, and as the car pulls away, the license plate is um, 3-toy-333. And the Lord says to me, remember the numbers. And several months later, the patent that I was, that I had written in anger in one day and told my attorney never to touch, just submit it, issued in record time. And the three threes were in part of the seven, number of the seven numbers of the patent. How do you do that? I didn't do it. 
It wasn't my righteousness, but God works miraculously. I was talking to, I have a cousin, a Jewish cousin. I was talking to him yesterday and, you know, just a lot of difference of opinion. And I said, if you don't believe in miracles, I said, you have no business and no right sitting at a Seder table celebrating the parting of the Red Sea. And if you don't believe in miracles, you're in the wrong religion. Find something easier, quieter, and more socially acceptable. But we're in a, we're in a relationship with a supernatural God, and your life changed because one of many thousands of people who were hung on crosses, one particular person died, and you're, and you're betting on heaven. So if you don't believe in miracles, you're in the wrong faith. And what we've done over the years is we've so dialed it down to not offend anybody, we, you know, it's like, according to your faith, so be it unto you. You have no faith, you see nothing. But if God's trying to grow us in our faith, and he grows us in our faith by putting us into situations that logically look impossible. And I always say there's logic, but logic bows to theologic. When God's in it, it bows to that. And so be prepared to see things that don't make sense. Jesus coming back in flaming fire in the clouds with all the saints with him and trumpets, the last trumpet blowing. Is that logical? No. Does, it's not. So these times, you know, prophesied to be the greatest days of outpouring. They're not just troubled days, but they're days of outpouring of the power of God. And he's calling a people to be prepared for those days. And he says in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it. Now, certainly the government on earth right now is not ordered. We know that's out of order. It's raging. To establish it with judgment and justice, they're not around right now. From that time forward and for even forevermore, uh, even forever, he says God's zeal is going, God's warrior name is, is Yahweh Tzivaot. It's Lord of hosts. That's when you see Lord Almighty, and, and maybe I think the NIV or Lord of hosts, he's saying warrior God. This is a God of force. This is the God where they say to him at the conclusion of the age, who's that one coming up out of Basra with his clothes dipped in red as if he was in a wine press? And he basically says, that's not wine, it's blood. I mean, it's, that's Lord of hosts. And, and that, again, that's offensive. So we don't want that. That's the, you know, Jesus loves me or, you know, you know, you know all the good songs of Christmas. He was being born then. He's coming back as a lion because look what's happening on earth. And the governments are not going to get turned over to him peacefully. We've seen that. We read in the, the Ezekiel study. We looked in other parts of Daniel. But man is not going to say, here are the keys to the city. And what we're told by Jesus about the Holy Spirit, listen to what he says in Luke 4, uh, 24, 49. They were facing days of tribulation at that point, the people who were following Jesus, they were gonna to go to a place where they had sworn, saying, we're not gonna leave you, we're gonna stick with you, and then everybody took off. And he says, you're gonna do that. And he says, behold, I send a promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on the high. He was saying to them, this is, well, you know, he, he's saying to them, he says, I don't even want you going out until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how many saints have gone out not filled? It's dangerous. And good intention will only get us so far. There's a lot that's happened on earth to saints because they weren't in the right place where God's called them. But you want to know it's God. You really want to know it's God. And John, in 16, John, and Jesus is making a big deal about the Holy Spirit here, which is what I'm speaking on this morning in case you missed it. John 16, 5, he says, 
But now I go away to him who sent me. And they're thinking, don't leave. We have the Romans that you have to overthrow so you could then rule and reign on earth. They had all their timing off. Then when he came back, they said, now are you going to do it? They still had their timing off. But he says, now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things, you sorrow has filled your heart, understandably so. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will know which will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So there is a hierarchy in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I will send him. Jesus doesn't get dispatched by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. And when he, the Holy Spirit, not it, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, this is very interesting. This has been a little bit of a revelation to me because I, I understand being convicted of sin. The word conviction implies guilt. It, 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 there's a proof to it. It's, he's going to prove something. But, you know, like, I, you, know, I, you know, I have a conviction that this is going to work. That doesn't mean, and no one's guilty in that. But here he's saying, the word he's using here has to do with something's wrong. He's convicting the world of sin. Sure, that makes sense because he's holy and the world isn't. And then why would you convict him of the world of righteousness and of judgment? Doesn't seem like the right word. I could see he's going to convict the world of sin and demonstrate righteousness of judgment. That, to me, makes more sense at face, face level. But I went through about five or six or maybe more different translations. They all come down to convict pretty much. Something's not right. Then he tells us why, and it still doesn't make a lot of sense. We'll clear it up in a minute. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. That makes sense. That is a sin to not believe in him. But, and that's a huge sin. But there's sin in period, you know, sin period. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. And you think, well, okay, I understand I'm going and you see me no more. What's have to do with righteousness? Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What? still doesn't fit perfectly in my earlier thought of what these things mean. Then he says something that's extremely challenging. If that wasn't enough, I still have many more, many things to say to you now, but you cannot bear them now. He's talking to believers who walked with him and saw the goods, walking on water, raising the dead, healing the sick. And he says, I have more things to say. And he doesn't say that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be even in your lifetime. It's just, I believe in a way, it's sort of like the Moses thing, saying there's things that have to get revealed, like time release. He says, and this is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit going forward over these 2,000 years, which he did not say then. I still have many, more, many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. That is a hole you could drive a prophetic truck through because there's a jeopardy in that. Because suddenly someone says, well, God said this, and God said that, and, and, and I heard him last week, and therefore, if this is coming out of my mouth this week, it must be him again. It doesn't say that. It's always going to align with Scripture. We know that. You'll never hear anything that contradicts Scripture. If you're hearing something, I have a friend who calls me, he's a tormented saint, loves God, but he says, the devil told me, I said, stop right there. I said, if he's telling you, why are you listening? You've been saved 40 some odd years. If you know it's him, why do you give him audience? I said, that's not God. You know it's not God. Would God ever say something like that? Well, no. I said, so why do you call me so many times a week telling me that? 
I love this guy. I mean, he, he struggles. He's an amazing man of God. Don't get me wrong. Loves souls. He wins souls. But he just has a, that's his battleground. You have yours. I have mine. He has his. But I'm saying, don't, if you don't, if, and I'll say to him, what is, what does the scripture say about this? Or, or I'll start a scripture and I'll finish it. The word is bubbling out of this guy, but he still gives ear to Satan. And we have to be very careful. Even this, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of what? The spirit of truth. His word is true. He's always going to speak truth. Has come. He will guide you into how much of the truth? All truth. For he will not speak of, of his, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. So there's things that even in those days they didn't know. And I believe in humility and also without trying to cop out of studying, there's things that we don't know yet. There's things we do know. And I've told you about... Um, you know, writers in the 1800s who says, oh no, there's going to be an Israel way before 1948. These guys were dead and with Jesus around the turn of the other century. And, they, and they're saying, oh no, there's going to be a, an Israel. This is not just a figure of speech. They didn't know. Most of them didn't know. He knew because he had pressed in that deeply. But he says, he's going to tell you things to, to come. Is that great? He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And he's saying, I want you. I intended you to have a Holy Spirit-filled, driven, purpose life. I want you to have that. When you're in that place, it's, and it's not an audible always. Sometimes it is. I've had one or two. I think the only audibles I've heard my name or a word or something, but I've never. But I've I've woken up sometimes out of dreams with nearly an audible on something, and and some of us have better frequencies to pick things up to know. I keep thinking of your thing. God told you to come to hope you see. I mean that's amazing when you know, when when you know something from God, you know something from God. But he's saying here, he says the Holy Spirit. That's the that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is why we want to be exercising this. Um, this capability that God has for us. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That means the Holy Spirit will reveal and prove the world is wrong. We are wrong. Man's viewpoint and understanding of sin is wrong. It's why people stand outside of a mass murderer's execution sign saying, don't take a life. And look at scripture. Man's viewpoint and understanding of righteousness is wrong. It's a sliding scale. And it depends on circumstances. And Dan, read Daniel's prayer, Daniel 9. Read that. There's God's righteousness. God's, God, when Jesus comes back, the world, and I always say this about Ezekiel 39, that when he returns, everybody's going to be slapping their head. They're going to understand why, why, did, why the Jewish people suffered. They're going to understand why, did, why these other people were deceived. They're going to understand. But he says when he comes back, the world's going to be convicted of how wrong we are in righteousness. That's why they hate Christians. Because yeah. they think we're narrow-minded. You're too stubborn. We're probably not stubborn enough. We're probably not. I and mean, we're not looking to offend people, but the gospel is extremely offensive. You're being in a room with people who are living in sin and they know you're holy or they even sense your holiness in your imperfect state. It's going to raise flags and sometimes voices and arguments. And don't melt in those situations. And if you, if you faint... In the day of adversity, your strength is, is small. I, the Lord gave me that scripture one time when I was asking for comfort. 
goes, it's time to buck up, dude. Man's viewpoint and understanding of judgment is wrong. What's going to happen when he comes back is going to look very violent, but it's going to be, um, it's going to be fair and it's going to be equitable, which is why he said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He says, you don't, you're not here to wreak vengeance on somebody. You can defend. I mean, if God's in something, I'm not, we won't have to go off on a whole trip here. I'm just saying you're not here to wreak vengeance. You're not here to do that. Vengeance is his. He's going to sort it all out. The NIV is very clear. Virtually, I tell you, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about these three things. The world's standard of righteousness is wrong. Yeah. It's just not right. And that's why, we, that's why people say, oh, don't talk politics, religion, and this. Well, you know what? All those things, the government's going to be on his shoulders. So he, one, in one verse, we're, we're hearing about the supernatural savior, and the government's going to be on his shoulders. So there you go. And, and it has nothing to do with politics. There's enough corruption on either side of any aisle. So they're all, I mean, God bless the saints who are called to Washington. I don't know how they do it. You talk about a swamp being the prophetic swamp of the book of Daniel. That's a swamp there. You know someone in, in, called into, into government and keep them in prayer. Keep, keep our Governor Lee in prayer. Yes. Keep our governor in prayer. I mean, it is not easy. We are sitting here, some of us trying to hold jobs or stay friends with a neighbor and, and picture being a, a, pray, a, a governor who spend times on, spends time on his knees. Yeah. Yeah. Just w really, just pray. Pray for those who are yeah. in authority. We were intended. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Then he says, you're the light of the world. Now you're the light of the world. And we're, we have to be that light. There is no such thing as a secret saint. If you're smuggling Bibles into Yemen, you're a secret saint for a day or a week or a month. But the reality is you're not called to keep your mouth shut. That old St. Augustine quote, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, open your mouth or use words. That's not, that's bogus. Our God spoke the world into existence. And, and the things that can come out of your mouth in holiness and humility, whether it's song or, or conversation or, or prayer or a word of encouragement or even rebuke if it's called for, that could change someone's whole life course. God's called, he's given us the ability to speak so that we could speak forth great. We're the sons and daughters of one who spoke the world into existence. And look at how much trouble, read the book of James on how much trouble the mouth can get you into. God would not have given you this nuclear warhead just to try to get you to shut it up and not speak. Okay, you're not holier if you have your vocal cords removed. You're actually ineffective. God's called you to have a, to have a mouth and to speak in humility and to love. And what happens is when people are in this situation when there's not a conviction or an understanding of the righteousness of God, which we establish and grow over the years, which is an amazing thing as you, as you get older. And God, I, I love deathbed salvations, but the idea that God would save you earlier on in life so he could mature you and grow you in these things, that course of events, you know, there's a healing work that he does over time, there's, and there's certain things he does instantly, there's others that take time to heal, but the, but the growing and understanding of his righteousness it makes you even more effective. You become an expert. This, you know, situation with, you know, one of our loved ones. They saw a doctor who's in his 70s. And, they, and you know, when people are not saying like he's old and ready to keel over. They're saying he spent 50 years yeah. understanding his trade and the nuances of some very, very serious things that other people have a little bit of a glimpse of it. And this guy's going at it. Yeah. 
So what God is doing in crafting us over the seasons, oftentimes through burning trials and tribulations and troubles where we feel like we're out of control. He says, no, I'm taking you through this so that you could grow in your understanding of who I am and who you are. So that the next thing that comes up, when David saw Goliath, he said, I fought the lion and the bear. I could take care of this dude. See, God was faithful. There's no, there's no lion and bear story about David in the scriptures. We get the Goliath story. I heard someone say, God made Goliath for David. God made him for David. Because David was ready for Goliath at that time. And we want to keep killing bears. <laughs> I was really good at that thing you called me to do 15 years ago. Let's just, keep, let's just do a repeat or a three-peat. He says, no, I got better things for you to do. He says, that's part of the great exploits that I've called you to in your life. So what happens is if we don't understand when the Holy Spirit is not there proving these things, he's already proven them wrong to us because the Holy Spirit's in us when we're filled and, and, and pressing into God daily and crying out for an infilling, he's already proving the world to be wrong about these things. It'll get you in trouble, like I said. But the problem is when there's a whole lot of churches where the, if anything, they'll, because they have a hard time separating the words out, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they have it in prayers and they don't know what to do. So, but they, it's all backroomed because they don't want to offend anybody. And so they end up opening a door to humanism. Man's righteousness is humanism. There's a lot of really good things that people come up with. A lot of them are godly, godly principles, but they don't know the boundaries of those principles. So people are willing to walk over lines and compromise thinking that's love. And it, and it takes you out of the place you're supposed to be. It actually defeats part of the purpose of why you're here on earth right now. You're called to be holy. Be holy from holy. So humanistic errors in teaching and preaching and legislating and justifying evil instead of upholding the standards of a holy God has taken us to where we're at. The church has failed. I'm not condemning a church. I'm not condemning the church. I'm just saying it by observation. We don't see the power of God in church. It discourages saints. It certainly discourages people who come in and go out. They never feel convicted. They never feel like God's alive. They don't feel his presence. There, there are churches, you walk in, you feel the presence of God. Go figure. Maybe he's there. He is. And so the idea of setting a, a, a you know, it's, the, it's a setting a, a table for the presence of God in a church is critical. I, I know times when, we go to a church, we love it. It's not perfect. It's clearly not perfect. Our, we had a pastor years ago who said, oh, church will never be perfect as long as you're in it. So, <laughs> so, I mean, that's the reality. We will bring all these imperfect people in. But he says, but you know what, though? The, the enemy has done such a good job ruining church that people don't want to be there. Saints don't want to be there. Thinking it's, it, it's, I don't even feel safe in church. Well, first of all, you are safe. But second of all, on the other hand, you're not. Because it's actually a place, like a group like this, where we're sitting 10 people or 12 people in a room. It's, you know, this is a by-choice situation. You go to church and sometimes look who's sitting next to you or saying something you didn't want to hear or opening their car door on your new car door that you worship. I'm just saying there's stuff that happens. There's stuff that happens. But I'm just saying, though, that when we don't want it to be, a, we don't want it, we don't want our, the standards of God to be diminished by either our pain or our brokenness or a misunderstanding. And he has called us to this place of holiness. And he's called the church to be walking in power. And he's called the synagogue to be walking in power. But they, seriously, they're in one of the worst places imaginable. 
they crucified their Savior, and now they're all, you know, you, you watch these beautiful, uh, you know, orchestras singing and about let our people go and release the people from Gaza, and, but they're not serving God. And your heart breaks for him. And we know that God has a call on the Jewish people and that's where he's coming back to and all that stuff. But they, but they need Jesus. They, they need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And we need to be doing it correctly. And that's a, that the, the con I think, and I read it actually recently, just for the first time, I think one of the greatest days of blasphemy was the first lamb that was slaughtered the day after Jesus was crucified. The audacity for these guys to dress up in their, in their religious garb, which suddenly looks like a Halloween costume, because they're going in there and they're getting religious and they're slaying a lamb for the people. And, and you stood there saying, let his blood be on our hands. Mm. Hasn't gone well for my Jewish people in the last 2,000 years. But it also hasn't gone well for the church either. Because we're not walking, when you start, we're gonna get down to it here, when we, when we start looking at what Joel promised, or Joel said, and then how Peter quoted it and said, no, the fuse just got lit, this upper room thing with the offensive tongue talking and everybody's thinking they're drunk and it's all crazy. No, no, no. That, he's, saying that, and he's saying this is that, and he's saying the fuse got lit. We have seen 2,000 years of a fuse barely lit. We haven't seen the outpouring of power and authority that's supposed to happen. If it's in the Word, it's going to happen. If he's coming back soon, it's going to happen now. If it's going to happen now, that outpouring would fry half of the church or two-thirds or seven-eighths or nine-tenths. We don't want to be in that group. You, you want to be in the number that says yes, that has learned to hear and obey him. That's the call. And so when we have to walk in something, again, like Deuteronomy, uh, Daniel 9, the last couple of verses where we don't know exactly, you could rest in that place. I know what I need to do today. I know I'm having, you know, I'm having dinner with someone who's not saved. I got a condition going on in my life and my family and my this and my that. I, I, I've spent time with God. He's in me. I've felt his presence. I've lifted my hands in the air this day. I've, I've praised him with my lips. He said, I'm, I'm good to go. I, I don't feel fully equipped, but I feel like he's with me. If he's with me, I'm fully equipped. That's your, fully, that's your full equipment. Matthew 5, he says, you're the, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? You can't salt salt. It's good for nothing, then good, but it's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Not a good word. But he's telling them truth. Again, offensive truth. You're the light of the world. The city is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Try as you might, or even try as your church might. We've been in places where people felt challenged by other people. You could see it. It was obvious. One person's anointed and the guy who's leading the charge isn't. But God had that person in place and you just rest in those things. And you don't, it's no mutinies in scriptures, no successful mutinies. Nor do they let, put a lamp, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Allow, don't hide, let your light so shine. Where? Before men. So God's totally in the promotion business. You have a gift, he'll bring it out of you. Right time, right place, right to jump to politics, brag, drop hints, give a resume. One time someone gave a word to me that was really powerful, and he said to me, could you write a letter? I'm like, my head was, I mean, I was just in disbelief. Can you write, like, almost like a to whom it may concern letter, like, 
how it, like about how anointed this guy was. I, I never got around to it. <laughs> how pitiful is that? Seriously? How sad is that? I, I, unbelievable. Anyway, do not, okay. Let you, you let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. You will have good works in that place of obedience and you will glorify your Father in heaven. So when you hide your light, you're missing an opportunity to glorify your daddy in heaven. And then he says, here's the, you know, the preemptive strike. Don't think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. I'm going to fulfill the righteous requirements. I'm going to fulfill the prophecies that said about when I'm coming. I'm going to, later, after I say this, I'm going to fulfill me being sold for 30 pieces of silver, being hung on a cross, being resurrected from the dead. I'm going to fulfill an outpouring in thousands of years of saints filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to fulfill all that. I came to fulfill everything that's written in the law. He goes, and I will eventually fulfill coming back. I'm not back yet, I'm coming. He says, don't think I came to destroy the law of the prophets. And by the way, in the law and the prophets, you could lead someone to their Messiah. I, obviously, the name of Jesus is who the Messiah is. But the whole story is sitting there in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Best way to deal with a Jew. He's your Messiah. Came for the Jew first. He was, is, he'll always be Jewish. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, that has not happened. The smallest little character mark on a Hebrew letter is not going to pass from the Lord till everything is fulfilled. This is critical. So irrefutable points. The whole book's perfect. Jesus is the word. Also in Revelation, we read that scripture in John earlier. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. He has lots of names. Even right there in that one chapter, they mentioned something else, a name that only he and the Father knows. And that You too have that. There's an intimacy between you and him. Nobody knows that name except you. You know when God calls you. It's so cool. The work God is doing right now is so that we might walk in holy intimacy of knowing what his will is for now, even if it doesn't mean every scripture is open to you. So rest in that place. Enjoy the word of God. It's absolutely spectacular to chew on. So here we go. Here's when the power work was supposed to begin. Peter stands up. They're all together in one accord. Suddenly, they're praying. Suddenly, it's like fire. It wasn't fire, but like fire comes down. And suddenly, people are hearing them. They're outside. Like, just in, like in India, we'd go there, and the windows don't have glass in them. And so they might have bars on them to keep bad guys out or, you know, something like that. Seriously. But so anything that's happening inside, you hear outside. Everything that's happening outside, you hear inside. So the people are out there and they're hearing all these, you know, people praying in tongues. But they're hearing them in different languages. So it doesn't say they're speaking in the language. It says they're being heard in that language. It's crazier. It's even crazier. Now, we know stories. In fact, John, you told, was it you who had that friend who was painting Paul Allen's house? Yes. Yeah. And, and the guy, he was, I've told it recently here, but he, the guy's painting Paul Allen's house. What did he found as a, Microsoft. It was, yeah, Microsoft. Yeah, and so he was friends with John's friend, the painter, and he says, so uh, you're one of those like tongue-talking kind of, you know, charismatic, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, so do you pray in tongues? He goes, well, yeah. He says, can I hear you? Can you, will you, will you say something in it tongues? It was his mother, it was Monica Sellis' mother-in-law. Mm -hmm. 
that asked. Him. Oh, okay. She she asked. Him. Okay, so so she asked him to pray in tongues, and so he, that's like a goofy place to be. <laughs> so he says, "Well, I'll pray for you." He, he offered to pray for them. It's not like just a performance kind of program. So he starts probably puts his brush or roller down and starts praying. And Monica Sellis, right, walks she, in. She came down one hall. Talk loud. Okay, so Monica comes down one hall. Paul comes down an opposite hall. Okay. And they both meet in the kitchen together. Bob is praying for Monica's mother in tongues. Monica hears him in French. In French. And so she understands everything that he's saying. <laughs> Monica's mother just hears tongues. And Paul Allen just hears tongues. tongues. Just blah, blah, blah. And he gets done, and her mother's like, wow. I feel different. And Monica asked Paul, well, when did you learn how to speak in French? And he goes, I can't speak. I've never spoken in French. <laughs> and, and Paul Allen goes, he wasn't speaking French. He was just babbling. Blah, blah, just babbling. He did, it made no sense at all. She goes, no, no, no. This is what he was praying for. He was da, 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 and just listed it right out. There's God. Yeah. There's God. Yeah. And we want to sit there and say, we don't want to offend anybody. So, I mean, I almost feel like spending another week on this because there's some incredible scriptures where we sort of think, well, okay, it's okay in a small group, everybody here is spirit-filled or most people or whatever, but, but I, not in front of the unbeliever. We want to be careful there because we don't want to, them to think we're weird. Well, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, interrupted by the love chapter, meaning that it has to be a motive on everything, 13, and then you go to 14, he, it actually says that when you, and, and you, coordinate that with Ephesians, talks about building yourself up, building, building yourself, building yourself up, <laughs> praying in the Holy Spirit. It talks about being filled with the Spirit and in that place prophesying truth to unbelievers. They're going to come in and say, you're mad. He says, if you, if everybody comes in, everybody's praying, if unbelievers come in and, or people who don't know, or sat in a really good church who poo-pooed this or shut it down because it was sanitary, and they go in and they hear this saying, oh, they're crazy. He doesn't say they're not going to think you're crazy. He says they are going to think you're crazy until someone starts prophesying something or, or Monica Sellers hears French. Everything changes. Everything changes. And we are so <clears throat> sensitive to not offend. Yeah. Not crazy? Too sensitive. Yeah. yeah. So listen to what Peter says here. What time is it? Oh, we're okay. 11-11. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. <laughs> It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, verse 17, that I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my Holy Spirit on who? On all flesh. So everybody is going, is going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God on all flesh. It doesn't mean everybody gets holy. It doesn't mean everybody's praying in tongues. But he's saying all flesh. So some people, it might be conviction. Some people, some people it might be finally a revelation of guilt. It might be a revelation of, I need God. The guy we prayed with in Rhode Island, when we witnessed to him that day, he said, I need God. He had been thinking about it. When we, after he told us his story, I said, can, I, can we tell you our story? And, and, he, and, he, and we, when we got finished, he said, I need God. So maybe the conviction on, that's put, the Holy Spirit poured on him was understanding a need that he had. But you want to be in the right place at the right time. And that's why you want a spirit-led, spirit-infused 
life, a burning life. I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. The, the ones who are the sons and daughters, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, the ones who are in the yes category, the ones who are saying yes to the work that God's called them into, a lot of us are sitting around thinking, I love God, he loves me, I'm sort of waiting on him. But the servant facility here or the servant capacity here, he's saying on the ones who are pressing in there, he says, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. He says, I'll release, I need the power and authority of a supernatural kingdom released on a world that's rotting right now. It's rotting. Like this movie, Serendipity, it's great, but there's a sex scene in it because Hollywood got it. But people need this, and that's why we're here. On my men's servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And then he goes on saying it's going to be some troublesome stuff too because most of the time people pray when there's trouble. Sadly, that's the stubbornness of man. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun will, shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood prior to, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord, which is his appearance, Yam Yahweh, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is mass revival in these days. The plan of God is for a mass revival. This shaking work is not just to make people miserable. It's for mass revi revival. It's easier to talk to people now about Jesus than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. 50 years ago, there was a book out called I'm Okay, You're Okay. I remember that. I bet you it's not going to be made into a movie anytime soon. The suicide rates are up, drug use is up, medications are up, antidepressants are up, divorce is up, violence is up, crime is up. I'm not okay and you're not okay. We're okay. <laughs> We're okay because there's a savior. Yes, and, he, and you know he has a hold of you and you're pressing into the place of intimacy, you're in really good shape. And then we go, the conclusion of this age will include this outpouring, Daniel 11, 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, the final Antichrist, shall corrupt with flattery. Because that's the corruption of man. I'll give you something if you do this for me. Barter. I'll, I'll flatter you, if you, and you're corrupted, and I'll corrupt you more. But the people who yada their God, who intimately have a relationship with him, they're going to be doing great exploits. They're going to be doing great. They're going to be doing supernatural things. You know, you want to help people. A lot of us have hearts to help, you know, whether you're saved or not. There's a lot of people with really good hearts to help and assist and all that stuff. You see paramedics. You see, I mean, there's people, just plain old people on the street. There's a lot of good people. But still, he says, the ones who know him are going to be doing these outrageous supernatural exploits. Don't you want to be part of that? That's why we're here. It's like, sign me up. And so for the most part, the missing link has been the people of God wholly submitting to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Not submitted. Not pressed into that place. And, and I'm not saying it like, trust me, I walk in my own flesh, I know what goes on in my mind and my heart. Trust me, I got my own issues. I'm simply saying, though, I'm really, I, this is what I want. This is the cry of my heart. I want more. I'm not saying it that I'm not doing enough. I'm not saying it in condemnation. I'm not saying it, saying it as B plus, A minus, C plus, needs improvement. I'm just saying, I just want more. And that's what, I mean, that's why we're here. This is, you know, no one's taking attendance. We're here because we want more. Yeah. Listen to what Jesus says. John 5, 
19, the son, and Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son of man can do nothing of himself. He says this. He goes, I'm not exaggerating. I, assuredly. But what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. So what Jesus said about people walking in power yet to be fulfilled, when you study some of the healers, and I trust me, I've read about all these guys, okay? I really have. Wigglesworth, Mariah Woodworth Eder. I've sent a couple of links. You can go online. Wikipedia is great for this. Google their names. Amy Semple McPherson, amazing woman. Mariah Woodworth Eder. Um, I left the Eder out. Yeah, Mariah Woodworth Eder. John G. Lake, William Branham, Benny Hill. Most of them healed the sick. Many raised the dead, walked in miracles. Many, sadly, didn't finish well. It doesn't mean that if you're walking in power, you can't finish well. You can finish well. You're meant to finish well. But what happens with, with authority becomes accountability. And we have to be careful. And so what God has to do, the, the accountability index is going to rise in these days. I believe we'll get away with less. It's not running out of grace. It's actually saying, I'm called you to something better. The accountability is going to run out, and he's going to be calling people to deeper places. We are watching loved ones in tough places, walking in better relationship with the Lord now than ever. Just saying. The accountability index rises, and you read Psalm 66 about, you know, you took, you refined us through, through fire. And it says, you know, basically, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm doing better now. The conclusion of Psalm 66 is I'm doing better now. Takes us through some painful stuff. I'm doing better now. I'm more surrendered. That's what he's called us to. Adding up all the works of those people and even many others, we still don't get to check off these as uh, uh, this. Listen to what Jesus says. So we're looking at the New Testament age. We've got 2,000 years. And there's people. There was like a Catholic guy. Uh, I forgot his name. He was uh, one of the saints who literally, I mean, there was like bona fide uh, you know, acknowledgement that the guy would levitate. Like he really had some thing. If you, if, you, if you Google it, you'll see. It was like, I don't forget when. It was like the 1200s or 1300s. There's some supernatural stuff that's happened. But the scriptures are full of supernatural stuff. Philip outran a chariot and then he gets, well, as soon as the guy gets saved and he baptizes him, he disappears and he's found cities away. I mean, there's like supernatural stuff. This is, the whole book's supernatural. But listen to what he says here. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me, John 14, 11 through 18, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Some of the things that the world has not seen are the works of God in us because we're walking at a lower level than he's called us to over the last 2,000 years. People would come to William Branham. This guy was, you want to talk about a character. I ordered books from this one guy. I ordered so many, the guy called me to, to ask what was going on. But, and I've handed them out over the years, and now they're hard to find. But I'm just saying, or they, they would have thousands of people. They would have to br bring William Branham into meetings through a window because they couldn't get in through the doors because people were waiting. He would come home from a campaign, and they would cover his, his uh, uh, you know, the windows, and there would be cars for eight or ten blocks in his neighborhood, people bringing caskets for him to pray over. Because he had raised the dead. And, and he's saying, believe me for the works themselves. Now, we're not following the works. The works will follow us. But we got to be pressing into these things. This is what he's calling us to. And we're always thinking, you ever notice that something happens, you think, oh, so-and-so should be there. They could lay hands on him. You think, you got hands? <laughs> 
I thought, don't you have hands? Believe me, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. I have not seen that yet. I simply haven't seen it. Even the William Branham things, even the Smith Wigglesworths, even the people who got sick. John Dowie prayed, I think, by telegram, and John Lake's sister got healed of cancer. I'm, I'm just saying, still, Jesus said greater works than these. I think this is, I think we're, I think we're right here. I think we're getting to this place of intimacy with God where people are going to say, yes, God, I want everything that you have for me, and we're going to start seeing this stuff. But we have to walk in such a humility that we don't own it. We don't want to advertise. You know what I mean? It's, it's not about us. We have to do that. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. He'll give you another helper. Helper. Not helper. That's yeah. from Brooklyn. In New York, the Holy Spirit's a helper. And then you go to, with the Holy Spirit and you eat pizza. No. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world, listen to this. When you look at the world and you think, can't you understand what's going on? The answer is they can't. We have to lighten up a little bit on the world. Not lighten up on sin, but they can't understand. They don't understand what drives you, what motivates you, what fires your rockets. What did you do this week? Well, I went to church, I went to a prayer meeting, went to a Bible study, went and they looked at you thinking, really? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot, not won't, cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because you're already saved for he dwells with you and will be in you. He said this prior to saying, tarry until the fire comes from heaven. And we've told people, oh, you're already filled with everything. And you think if you're filled with everything, why aren't we walking in everything yet? Just asking. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. That orphan spirit goes away. That When you start realizing you're a son or a daughter of the king, yeah. king of the universe, and you had a lousy dad or a lousy uncle or an abusive something, I mean, those are horror stories. Those are breaches of covenant and love and trust and all that. And there's a lot of brokenness there. But he says, oh, you, you don't have to walk in the orphan spirit. And here's the unpardonable sin. This is the priority. It's just like the, um, and I know we're running a little late, but I'm close to getting done here. I got to know that 14 pages will be done. <laughs> but here's the, what, you know, Jesus says, Jesus says, anything you say against me will be forgiven. He says, but don't mess with the Holy Spirit. And you think, why? What's the difference? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If that's the order, wouldn't you think the greater accountability is talking against God, talking against Jesus, talking against the Holy Spirit? But the reality is this. Listen to what he says. Again, it's so funny. We have three assuredly's today. Everything he said is assuredly, but these are assuredly, assuredly's. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But a subject doesn't mean that he's going to be eternally condemned, but he's absolutely eligible for eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. That's typically committed by religious people. That's church. The world, you know, disses Jesus and mocks Jesus and dresses up like Jesus and all that stuff and flips off God. But it's the one who really, and he's not just saying the word Holy Spirit, but when you're really dealing with someone moving in the works of the Holy Spirit on earth in these days, and people are saying that's satanic. That's what they said about Jesus. So that's satanic. And in essence, the church saying, that's not for now. That's not, that's, that doesn't belong here. 
That's not a good place. I mean, there's some amazing men and women of God who just don't know better, and they're on their journey, so we can't look at everybody who, you know, is a cessationist or something like that and say they're condemned. But at the same time, th this is serious business here. Now, we're not to be charismaniacs, we know that, but, you know, but we better not be that. But if tongue-talking and miracle-performing and quick-disappearing, uh, shadow-healing, stuff like that, Paul raising a dead man back to life after he falls out of a window is charismania, then sign me up. Sign you up. Might someone think you're nuts? I hope so. F 48 years ago, I prayed, a friend of mine prayed for a man with a six-pound tumor, six, one six-pound tumor, he was healed instantaneously. I love that story. I cling to it. But I don't, ha I don't have another 48 years left. Mm -hmm. I want to see more healings. Yes. I mean, I've seen other healings over the course of time, but I'm just saying my batting average is dismal. I want more. We want, to see we want to start seeing these things, which is why we press in when we know something's going on. These are the days to say, you know what, it's worth a couple of meals, it's worth a couple hours of prayer, it's worth a couple of putting down something that I like doing, fasting, praying, what it takes in your life. God calls, he invites us into those places. There's no rules on it because he invites us into that place. That's what's so cool about it. All right, let's go on. I can go on about Holy Spirit. Read Romans 8, 1 through 27. It's amazing. All those people, by the way, on that list, I want, I, I'm not going to say it 100% sure. Most of those people were, there are seasons in their life, events. William Branham went to a meeting one time and heard people talking in tongues. He was already healing people prior to that. And then he went to a meeting and was overwhelmed because he, it, it, he had been taught against it. And he ended up having a Holy Spirit encounter like a baptism of the Holy Spirit shifted his whole ministry radically same thing with some of those other people I'm just saying if it's in scripture and God has provided it for men why don't you want that why would you not want that forget what it's called or how it's looked at or whether it's convenient or not if it's in you know the Bible talks about us being fully equipped why would you not want it and Paul says covet earnestly spiritual gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way, meaning, yes, it has to be done out of a motive of love. You're not just doing it to look like you're, you know, Arnold, you know, spiritually. He's saying, why would you not want that? Why would you not want to, to say, I've laid hands on people and they've come back from the dead, or I've prayed for this? Why would you not? Why do you not want it? Listen to this. We're really getting late here, huh, Rob? Are we too late already? You want me to leave, Rob? <laughs> okay, thank you. It's almost 11.30. Okay, we'll end right here. We'll finish this up next week. Right there, Corinthians. Put a note there. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, God. Thank you, God, for calling us in these days. Days of outpouring, days of trouble, days of shaking, inconvenient, uncomfortable, and yet, God, your presence is so evident. We are feeling your presence in these days, God. And we want to respond to that and say, yes, God. Yes to your outpouring. Bring it on, God. Bring your outpouring upon your people in this day, God. Pour your spirit out, God. Whatever, what, you actually paid the price, but it, it will cost us. But we say, bring it on us, God. God, you, you told us about a comforter, not simply living in comfort. So, God, we ask you to fill us again. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit. Fill us now to overflowing, God. And again, Lord, uh, uh, everyone on this call, Lord, I, I know a lot of these backstories, God, and these are, these are saints, mature saints, walking in, already walking in authority. We're asking you for more of that, God. 
We're, 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 we're full and we're hungry, God. We're desperate, God, to know what you're doing in these days and to be walking in your timing, your understanding, your humility, your holiness, God, in your perfection and in your will. And you would fill us with that. And if anyone on this call or someone who would listen, uh, God, later is, uh, has been taught uh, contrary to Scripture, God, they would realize there's not a, a Methodist Bible or a Presbyterian Bible or a, or a charismatic, charismatic Bible. There's a Bible, and this is what you spoke. And these accounts are people who were filled with authority and power. And Paul, in saying that he spoke in tongues more than you all, didn't end there, Lord. And we're asking you, God, for a full outpouring, that, you're, that we would be uh, on fire for you, Jesus. On fire for you, God. You'd own our mouths, our eyes, our wallets, our hands, our thought processes, our sleep patterns, God. You'd own it all. We want to be those people, God. We want to be those people. And again, if this is the gospel according to me, you delete it, God, and what is true and proper and came out of your word and has convicted us or encouraged us or illuminated us and revelated us in any way today, God, it would be, a, it would be part of us from here on out. We bless you in this, God, as we unmute microphones, God. We want to uh, really say a hearty amen that we agree with what you have prescribed for your people, particularly in these days, God, that you would be glorified, God, that souls would be saved, that, that uh, troubled people would be set free and released, God, that we would be in your will. And your people said amen. 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 So we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?